The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Yeah, it's Colm O'Sullivan on the Big Red Bench tonight on a massive Saturday of sport. Unfortunately, it wasn't to be for Cork today in the Munster Hurling Championship semi-final versus Waterford. We will have reaction to that match very, very shortly. We are also going to be looking ahead to the big rugby game tonight, Ireland versus France in the Six Nations. If Ireland win, the trophy could be ours. We'll talk to Cork City Chairman Declan Carey on Cork City FC's takeover. Huge news during the week of Trevor Hemmings and Grovemore possibly taking over Cork City. We'll have reaction to today's Cork Camogie match as well. We'll have all the sport from across the weekend and plenty more coming up between now and 7pm. Yeah, good evening. It's Colm O'Sullivan with you on the Big Red Bench tonight until 7pm here on Cork's Red FM. On one of the busiest Saturdays of sport that we've had in quite a while, I can tell you there is a hell of a lot of stuff for us to get through. But we will get through it all between now and 7. We've got Gaelic games, we've got rugby, we've got soccer and plenty more to come between now and 7. We are also going to hear uh, between now and 7 o'clock from the legendary Gerald McCarthy, five-time All-Ireland winner with Cork and obviously managed Cork in his time as well. We're going to be chatting to Gerald about the late, great Christy Ring, because if Christy Ring was still alive, he'd be turning 100 years of age this weekend. The greatest hurler of all time, Ger McCarthy says he was the greatest and no one will ever be better than him. We're going to chat to Gerald about his memories of the late, great Christy Ring later on in the show as well. As I said, Tomás O'Leary will be joining me, uh, former Irish international, talking about Ireland's game against France over in Paris tonight. The Cork City chairman, Declan Carey, is here for an in-depth chat about the takeover by Grovemore Limited and billionaire Trevor Hemmings of Cork City FC during the week. Uh, that looks like it's full steam ahead. Declan will have all the details for Cork City fans. They are dying to know, so we'll bring you those details a little bit later on as well. But let's round up some of the, uh, the day's action because it was a very, very busy Saturday of sport, as I said. Gaelic Games, first of all, Semple Stadium was the venue for the Cork Hurlers as they began their championship campaign this afternoon. Kieran Kingston's side were on the losing side, unfortunately, against Waterford and Thurless in the Munster Championship semi-final. So it is the qualifiers for Cork now. The final score at Semple Stadium, Cork 124, Waterford 128. We'll be crossing live to Semple Stadium in just about one or two minutes' time. Elsewhere in Gaelic Games, uh, Croke Park hosting both Leinster semi-finals this evening. It's full time in the first one Kilkenny have ran out winners against Dublin 320 to 222 the final score in that match and Wexford's meeting with Galway getting underway very shortly there at Croke Park as well in Camogie good news for the Rebelettes this evening Cork sit top of group one following a good win 312 to 18 was the points margin against Wexford and Porky Ring this afternoon we had Lauren down there with a reaction to that game towards the end of the show this evening and in rugby as I mentioned it's Super Saturday in the Six Nations as the pandemic delayed championship comes to a close this evening uh, it's strange having Six Nations games in October and Halloween Ireland's title hopes are in their own hands a bonus point victory against France in Paris and that is much easier said than done would see Andy Farrell's side crowned Six Nations champions uh, we'll chat to Tomás O'Leary a bit later on in the show about that match and get his views and how he thinks Ireland will do earlier on in the Six Nations it was uh, Wales beaten by Scotland 14 points to 10 and at the moment Italy up against England England very much in control there in Italy this evening it's 53 minutes on the clock and it is Italy 5 England 24 right now though we are going to cross live to Semple Stadium and as I said 
Uh, not a good day for Cork in the Munster Hurling Championship unfortunately it finished Cork 124 Waterford 128 Valerie Wheeler is in Semple Stadium for us this evening and Valerie it's only a four point margin but really I suppose Cork weren't at the races today and it wasn't their best performance no, I think the data really did cause a big upset here today in Simple Stadium, Colin, if I'm being totally honest with you. Um, it was a great performance from Liam Cahill's side and now they're into a Munster final. But looking at Cork, column, I just don't know what happened to Mike. There's no point in me lying here now because it really was a disappointing and poor performance from the Rebels. Um, yeah, I mean, Waterford, it was it actually brought to an end a nine-game run without a championship victory for Waterford. So that kind of says it all, doesn't it? It really does, and I think a lot of people came in today with the confidence of Cork winning, and I think I did the same, kind of from being totally honest with you. It's just all the odds were against Waterford, and I think they really answered a lot of questions that people were asking of them. Um, you know, Liam Cahill left, left out the likes of Noel Connors, and he left out Smar Shanahan, and people were questioning him for doing that, leaving out such grace of the game, and then players brought in like Daly Hutchinson and stuff for Waterford, getting like three scores to his name today, and I just think that... Cork really need to now go have a good look at themselves because there were so many missed opportunities as well. I think in a total, Cork had um, 15 wide today, which is too many missed opportunities on such a big day like a championship day. 15 wides. Where did it go wrong for Cork, do you think? Were, were they were they not set up right? Was it lack of preparation? Were they caught in the hop by Waterford? What do you think? Um, I'd like to think that, you know, a lot of people are questioning whether you know, did new management bring in any new players? And there is a lot of the same old players out there on the field column. And sometimes fresh talent can give older talent and experienced talent a boost. And maybe they just didn't have that. And I think maybe they might go have a look at maybe the county champions and bring in some of those players. Um, I think really the second half kind of was the, you know, nail and coffin stuff for Cork because it was three minutes into the second half and Waterford came out and Callum Nine's got a goal for Waterford mm. and it was just, that was the end of it really. I think they just lost momentum then and, you know, Seamus Harrandy kind of was a bit of a brightness in the tunnel for them because he did get three scores in three minutes in the second half. But between himself and Patrick Horgan, Patrick Horgan then had, I think it was 180 his name, but he can't do it all himself either, Callum, you know, and I think it's really difficult when you've such a talented player like Patrick Horgan and he doesn't have the support around him sometimes. I mean, that's been the story with Cork for the last few years really, hasn't it? No, yeah, it has and I think that now more than ever maybe they will go look at new new talent and you'd hope that they would because, you know, there's plenty of players around the county uh, column that would love the opportunity and love the chance to save their county and some (laughs) of them are good enough to do that. I mean, you know, why not give them the chance? What was it like there in Semple Stadium today, Valerie? I know we're getting used to the, the empty stadiums now, but I mean, Cork and Waterford in a, in a Munster Senior Hurling Championship semi-final in Semple Stadium. There'd be some crowd, there'd be some atmosphere, it'd be an amazing day out for people normally. What was it like there today? Look, to be honest, I mean, it was spooky and eerie and creepy and it wasn't because it was Halloween, it was because <laughs> it was a COVID-19 struck and no fans were allowed in the stadium. I mean, it's kind of like watching a challenge game. I mean, it's not the same without fans and I'm not saying that because I get the privilege to be here. I'm genuinely mm. being so honest I'm going, you would really, really miss the fans here. You'd miss the shouting and the scores. You can even hear some players go, yay, celebrate themselves when they score and it's just very strange to hear that. Um, then, of course, with the social distancing and interviews after, it's going to be quite a nightmare. But 
it's just not the same. I know we're so happy to have it, and I know people watching at yeah. home or maybe listening at home, you know, probably don't witness that lack of atmosphere that we I would share. But look, we're, I think we're just happy to have the games, Colin, and happy that they're going ahead. Well, definitely, the, them going ahead is better than nothing. I mean, people are, are delighted just to be able to watch them on TV, even if they can't get to them at the moment as well. Um, Valerie, finally, where to from Cork or for Cork from here? Obviously, it's into the qualifiers, but I mean, what, what do you expect? Um, look, to be honest, yeah, it's the qualifiers now and they have to prepare for that after a really disappointing defeat today. And I just don't know where they're going to go from here because they're going to have to go back to scratch now and they haven't long to prepare themselves. So just looking like a rocky road for them, to be honest, Colin, because they have a lot, a lot to work on. And Valerie, before we let you go, we got to say a big happy birthday. <laughs> Thanks, don't be revealing my age. I won't, I won't. Valerie is celebrating your 20th. Halloween, yeah. Halloween baby. Halloween baby. Celebrating your 21st this weekend. <laughs> yeah, that's what we'll stick with we'll anyway. we go with that, alright. Nice one. Valerie, listen, um, thanks a million for joining us today on the Big Red Bench, alright? Thanks, Colin. We're going to hear now briefly from uh, Cork manager Kieran Kingston and get his reaction. He was speaking to the assembled media a group press conference after the match. Uh, the final score, as we said, Cork 124, Waterford 128 in Semple Stadium. Uh, the audio quality isn't great on this, but we'll play you some of Kieran Kingston's reaction. What a tough day. As I said beforehand, I didn't really know where we were at. Uh, we certainly thought we were well enough in training. Uh, but on today, we didn't we didn't bring the performance from training. Or we were going in training, we didn't bring it to the pitch today. Over the course of the, of the uh, 70 hours, I think we were we didn't deserve to win the game. Physically, what do you think? Waterford, they seem to win a lot of a lot of the 50-50s. They seem to have a slight advantage. What do you think? Yes. Look, I suppose if we look back at it in the end, I think that we were we lost more than our fair share of, of, of those balls. That's disappointing. But look, from our perspective, um, we came under our belt. We got a regroup. See what the draw brings us, and uh, see what we can learn from today. That's Cork manager Kieran Kingston. Again, apologies for the poor audio quality there. He says Cork need to regroup and see where they are as they go into the qualifiers now after today's defeat to Waterford at Semple Stadium in the Munster Hurling Championship semi-final. We're going to hear now as well um, from the Waterford manager Liam Cahill and get his reaction to today's win over Cork. Really happy that um, that we got over the line and knew that we had to hold well to have any chance of beating Cork. So really, really happy for the players in particular. The effort they put in and the way they've looked after themselves during lockdown and everything like that to come back in that physical condition and was brilliant you know and credit to Paul the backroom team the S&C team as well for the, for the work they've done you know the last goal that Cork got maybe for the slightly falls you were, you were probably that bit better than, than three or four points yeah well look we, we seem to allow Cork a lifeline a lot throughout the course of the game through um, a lot of our own errors again and it's something I've been on about to this group of players since I came here and us to have any chance of, of being competitive and trying to win a monster final again, either Limerick or Tip will have to will have to stop making silly mistakes and, and keeping our um, keeping our footing in particular and just not giving away the ball easily and, and we just seem to get hurt a lot when we do that. So it's just going to be a case of improving again little things now for monster final. What was the what great the most pleasing part of that Waterford performance here? Um, well, it's one 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 of the main uh, pleasing aspects of it, Tomas. But I thought um, I thought our use of the ball was really good. I thought. Stephen Bennett, when he came deep there in the, in, in, towards the latter end of the game, his distribution of the ball was excellent. And, um, you know, there was, a, there was a nice nice feel to it today. Just the players, you know, they use that in, uh, energy. And when you have energy on the field, you, you, you always have a chance. Did you use the ball better in the second half, Liam? With 14 wides in the first half, with the win. None in, in the second half going into it. Yeah, that's that's the trouble with, with, with games like that when you have... Um, when you have a, a downfield wind, you know, sometimes it can it can 
you just mightn't get the advantage you need to get out of it. And I suppose the type of game we play, playing into the wind, was probably a bit easier for us. And uh, you know, I'm just happy now, as I said, to get to almost the final. Thing. This is the first day you tied the board back in the defence. He made it an immense difference. So tied the board is, you know, ever before I came to Waterford, like you know, he was a guy I was looking in at every every summer and as as one of the key backmen in the country, you know. And, Come back from, from, from his injury there 12 months ago and come out in that sort of form today, it's just credit to the man himself, you know. Callum Lyons, uh, Liam, that goal is the second half. How significant is it for you of all time this tonight? Yeah, I think, I think for, any, for either team, the start of the second half was going to be vital. And whoever was going to get the first goal was going to go a long ways and win the match. So, you know, Callum, with his athleticism to get up the field, like, was, was a really, really important score for us. And it kind of gave us that real sense of belief that we could see out the 70 minutes. Caught him back at you in a couple of occasions, but you all just seem to get the score through to open the four-point point gap again. Yeah, you know, the all objective will always be to try and keep the scoreboard ticking over, and when you get a lead and you can keep going tip for pat, you know, it just eats into the clock and it gives you that little bit of belief when you get nearer and nearer the, the 70 minutes. So, um, now as I said, credit to the players, really, really delighted for them. That is Waterford manager Liam Cahill reflecting on their victory over Cork today at Semple Stadium in the Munster Hurling Championship semi-final. Waterford 128, Cork 124 and understandably Liam Cahill delighted with that. Uh, Waterford's first win in nine championship games. They're back to winning ways and unfortunately it was at our expense. Um, we are going to stick with Gaelic Games right now because we're going to go back in time and we're going to talk about the late great Christy Ring because you might have seen it over the weekend. It was all over social media yesterday. A lot of the newspapers carried supplements yesterday and today on Christy Ring because if Christy Ring was still alive he would have been 100 years of age yesterday uh, so happy birthday to the late great Christy Ring uh, sadly he passed away way back um, in 1979 so I think it shows how much esteem he's held in that 41 years later that I mean people are still talking about him and him being the greatest hurler of all time I wanted to talk to Gerald McCarthy um and John McCarthy is a man who has spoken over the years very, very fondly of Christy Ring. And even yesterday in the Irish Examiner, he had a lovely piece about Christy Ring. And he actually did uh, got Christy Ring to do the opening of his shop. John McCarthy obviously owns John McCarthy trophies inside in Princess Street. And he got Christy Ring to do the opening of his shop. It was the only time Christy Ring ever opened a shop back in 1978. And uh, Gerald obviously is a five-time All-Ireland winner with Cork, a magnificent hurler himself in his own right, and went on to manage the Cork team as well, of course. Uh, and he's a Cork legend and a very very, very nice man and he came on to chat to us he's coming on to chat to us now um, about Christy Ring and his memories of Christy Ring down through the years he, he remembers him as a child watching him he remembers him uh, being in the same dressing room they'd, they'd have played on the same team he remembers playing against him he remembers so many facets of Christy Ring's life and um, sure as I was saying I suppose it really reflects on the man that Christy Ring was what an amazing hurler he was what an amazing guy he was um, and how much impact he made on Cork Sport and on the Irish sporting landscape in general that over 40 years after his passing we're here talking about him today Absolutely he was such Christy was a, a great character um, to have him involved with a team and apart from being one of the greatest hurlers of all time the greatest um, there's no doubt about it uh, he was very astute and would give great advice to players you know and I, the first time I saw Christy playing it was the 1956 All-Ireland final my father my late father took me to the game I was, as 11 year old and to be honest 
there was such a crowd there, I didn't see the game very well, <laughs> but I can remember it well, all right, for it was a ding-dong struggle, and it was the day that uh, Art Foley made that famous save from Christie when he took a shot from the 21-yard line, you know, and um, afterwards, when the game was over, the Wexford players, a few of the Wexford players actually shouldered Christie off the team, off the field, sorry, and, you know, I've never, ever saw anything like that before. That's not something that happens ever, really, is it? It'll never happen again, anyway, that's for sure, <laughs> I'd say. Yes, but, you, you know, he was an inspiring figure, just the, the, the name was magic, even, you know, everybody talking about Ringy. It was superb just to see him play. And the name is still magic. That's that's what amazes me so much about it. The name is still magic, Gerald. And I mean, you mentioned him there as there's no doubt about it. You think he is by far the greatest hurler of all time. And I think most people would agree with that. What stood out about him? Why was he so good? Um, he always said that it was his strength, along with his capability as a hurler and his skill, that he really believed, and he was, stronger than anybody that he was playing against and he had such a a, a bit of pace over 10-15 yards with his shoulder low to the ground and very strong frame you couldn't stop him really you know he was uh, ferocious when he went on a run like that and um, you know it, not everybody could copy that style of play I tell you it was it was fabulous to see because he took so much punishment also in games you know Mm. and I mean he could take that punishment because he went on to play for a long time as well I mean he had a long long career and I mean it could have even been longer there was talk he was going to he was going to make a comeback as well like uh, later on when you were there that's right that was, was for 66, the uh, was 1966 yeah. Um, yeah there was a big talk that time that Christie uh, would come back that the selectors actually picked him on the panel for the once the final but uh, Christie didn't show. He, he decided not to take part. And, you know, it, it, as players, we had a pretty young team that time. And mm. I tell you, any one of us would have given up our place to have him play with us. He would have been such a, a man to have in the group, you know, because not just as a red hurler, he, he, he was very astute and would give a great advice too. So, um, yeah, he, he made up his own mind, you know, and lots of people think that there was, you know, maybe the players didn't want them or the selectors that it was a 3-2 decision and that he wasn't happy about that but that's that's not true at all I I actually think that you know, we were he was picked as a sofa once the final but I have a feeling like that, the big thing that time was would Ringy get his ninth all out of the middle mm. and I think he decided he didn't want it that way, you know coming on as a sub maybe or you know that's what I feel personally about it but um, he decided not and he wouldn't take part that year he was happy with the eight medals he was very happy with them I'd <laughs> I say. think he was um, yeah it was a, a fantastic haul of medals it's unbelievable really and I think it was nine yeah. monster titles as well wasn't it Nine, nine monster, nine monster titles, and eight yeah, All-Irelands. Um, four four uh, National League medals, yeah. I think, and uh, something like um, 15 River Cup medals. I used to, every Partick's day, um, go up to Crow Park to see him play in those. 
It's fantastic. It's an amazing Hall of Medals altogether. What was it like for you, Geraldine? I mean, you mentioned watching him as a young fella going with your dad and so on. And then then as you came up through the ranks, you would have got to know him, obviously, and you would have been in the same dressing room as him. You'd have played against him. What was he like as an opponent? Um, As an opponent? Because you would have obviously played against him. Like what was he? Yeah, what was he like playing against to play against him? Oh, played in one cup final against them there. I think it was nineteen sixty four, and uh, he, he that was a county final. Now, and he that day even you know he 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 scored a goal and a couple of points. He was the difference between the teams, really. You know, um, he was very determined. You just you know you just you just couldn't stop him. You just couldn't stop him. Not for a whole game, anyway. He was loved around Cork, I mean, by everyone. He was an icon, still is an icon, even many years after his death. And he he, he would have been, I suppose, a big celebrity in Cork in his day, and everyone would have loved him, and everybody would have wanted to meet mm-hmm. him and, and get their photograph or their autograph with him and everything. But he was quite a shy man, I believe, behind it all, was he, Ger? Very, very shy he was. Um, I remember when I was going into business here, and I asked him to open the shop for me, and... Oh, God, Charlie said, I don't do that kind of thing at all. He said, no, I wouldn't do it. And um, he said that a couple of times, but I persisted. And uh, he agreed in the end to do it, provided there was no money to be involved. And, yeah. you know, and you know that's the kind he was. He, yeah, he just wouldn't accept anything like that. There's a picture of you holding up that photograph in the Irish Examiner yesterday of Christy cutting the ribbon, opening your shop. Uh, what That's year, right. What year? That was 1978. That's actually the year he actually passed away later on, was it? Uh, 79. 79, that, sorry. About yeah, yeah, five yeah, months. Yeah. That was in yeah. October, I think, of uh, 78 that he opened the shop and he died following March. Um, what yeah. memories do you have of his passing? Because that was a huge shock. He was a young man as well. It was. Oh, sure. It was a colossal funeral altogether uh, certainly matched the funerals of Tomás McCartan and Terence McSweeney it, it was huge um, I remember that they tried to get to Cloyne uh, Cemetery and I, I couldn't get near the place um, yeah I, I watched it going through Partick Street but then I headed off in the car down there but couldn't get near the cemetery such a crowd such a crowd that he was so loved and he, he is still so loved. I mean, you still see murals of him around town and you still see people talking about him and, and, and still mentioning him as the greatest of all time. Do you think anyone has come anywhere close since then in terms of Hurlinger? Um, I don't think anybody would come close to him even. No. No, he was so passionate about the whole game, you know, and he's played for such a long time and plus the fact then that you know, he, he's experienced. He started to pass that on to uh, when he was a selector with us. He, he was he was absolutely brilliant. You know, he he told us one the final night of training before one of the uh, All Ireland finals against Wexford that when he was playing himself, he, he'd go to as many intercounty games as he could, not to watch the players. He said, but to watch the referee. And he <laughs> said, "You're playing Wexford now, and some of the lads." He said. The referees from Leinster take your three steps with the ball and you can take at least three more with it and you won't be blown. And Ray Cummins got a goal that day and he took at least ten steps. So, like, he that that was his kind of insight into it, you know. Um, on a personal level then, I know his advice to me before the 1977 final, 
um, I, I was picked to play centre forward and mm. I never actually played there before and um, he told me look uh, you're playing on a great player and he said just keep the ball out of his hand he said that's, that's your job though he said for the whole day just stop him I said it was the first time ever a forward was asked to stop a back playing you know yeah. and uh, yeah I, I actually ended up man of the match as it happened and that was 77 I think that worked out but pretty well so it did <laughs> and that was the kind of advice you know he was yeah. so clever and he could impart and give you confidence and you know to do the right thing yeah superb if he had lived longer do you think sure he might have gone on to manage Cork I mean he did have a stint as a selector didn't he he did yeah I, you know I, I don't know what he ever for that job of being um, sole manager or coach, he, he liked to walk behind the scenes of it, Christie, you know, and that was that 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 he was most effective at that, you know. I think um, he wouldn't. I don't think even with the Glen, like he wouldn't be sort of the man to take the coach's job or the manager's job, as I say. Will we ever see anyone of his level again? Do you think you, you say there's been nobody since who's just finally who's been at his level? Do you think anyone might be? Do you think do you think anyone the way the game is going now will ever reach that level again? Well, he always said the famous towards himself that look, he said um, there's been great players in the past and the best of players are to come. You know that's that was he was you know. And, you know, while we'd all love to say that there could be somebody someday better than Christy Ring, quite honestly, I don't think we'll ever see it, no. It does look unlikely, you'd imagine, all right, if, he, if he's that level, you really, know. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Listen, Gerald McCarthy, thanks a million, Gerald, for coming on. We're delighted you chatting us this evening. Um, you're inside in the shop. How's business? Um, very poor, actually. Um, we're here just on lockdown, really, yeah. and doing a little bit of book work only, and stuff like that so um, trophy side of things has taken a big hit I suppose with, uh, because there's not, not, not know, as much sport happening and so on yeah yeah, yeah. Um, hang in there hang in there Ger, absolutely you've been, you've been there for many years so you'll be there for many yes, more indeed. many more years All hopefully right, thanks, thanks Ger and we'll talk to you again soon appreciate that thanks the great Gerald McCarthy, Gerald McCarthy, five-time All-Ireland winning hurler with Cork, uh, talking about the late, great Christy Ring, who would have been 100 years of age if he was still alive this weekend. It's Colm O'Sullivan with you on the Big Red Bench for Saturday evening here on Cork's Red FM. Um, good news just in the last couple of minutes, if you're a Liverpool fan, they have equalised against West Ham. Mo Salah getting a penalty there uh, just before half-time for Liverpool. It's Liverpool 1, West Ham 1 in that match. Just to give you some other scores from the Premier League today as well. Earlier on today, Chelsea with a 3 0 win over uh, Burnley so a good win for Chelsea there and also earlier on Man City with a narrow 1-0 win over Sheffield United so as it stands um, Liverpool would if they get a point or a win in this game go back top of the table but they will have a game played more than Everton and uh, Chelsea's win today moves them into the top four ahead of Aston Villa as well we're going to stick with football after the break we'll be chatting live to Cork City chairman Declan Carey huge news for Cork City football clubs during the week sadly Cork City football club relegated from the Premier Division last weekend but huge news voted through the takeover option by the members. Um, it was successfully voted through by Grovemore Limited owned by UK billionaire Trevor Hemmings. He's taking over the club, all going well um, in the next couple of weeks and we'll chat to Declan Carey about what that means for Cork City and he'll answer some of the many pertinent questions on the lips of Cork City fans. Also on the way we're chatting rugby Tomás O'Leary will be joining me before 7 as well to talk about uh, the Ireland game tonight Ireland versus France in Paris and we'll have reaction to Cork Camogie's win today as well. The 
Big Red Bench. Game on. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. Yeah, it's Colm O'Sullivan with you on the Big Red Bench until 7 o'clock this evening um, on a day when Cork have been defeated by Waterford in the semi-final of the Munster Hurling Championship. Uh, final score of Cork went with 124, Waterford 128. Still won all in the Liverpool game in the Premier League. Liverpool won, uh, West Ham won there at halftime in that match. And the latest update in the rugby is Italy 5 points, England 34, Ireland versus France in Paris later on tonight. We'll be chatting very shortly to Tomas O'Leary. He joins me to look ahead to tonight's match. But first, we're going to stick with football and Cork City FC. It was a mixed week and a strange and busy and hectic week for Cork City FC. It's been a poor season on the field of play under manager Neil Fenn. Uh, he was sacked a couple of weeks ago. Colin Healy came in and took over the club. Didn't manage, unfortunately, to keep them in the Premier Division. So Cork City um, will be most likely playing first division football next season and um, they're relegated as it stands to the first division for next season Cork City FC but the big news about the club was actually off the field during the week there was a virtual meeting of the club's supporters trust held on Wednesday night to vote on whether or not to sell the club to Grovemore Limited Grovemore Limited is a company owned by UK billionaire Trevor Hemmings Trevor Hemmings is a guy with connections to Cork he owns Trebulgan Holiday Village he owns a number of stud farms around Cork and he's a guy who spent a lot of time in Cork as a as a child and has a bit of an affinity with the place um, we believe um, so he's he's also the owner of Preston North End Football Club and he knows he knows football he's been involved in football for quite a while and he wanted to buy Cork City for whatever reason he decided he wanted to buy Cork City um, so last season he gave Cork City some money for the sell-on clauses for Shawnee Maguire and Alan Brown he gave Cork City further money to uh, get the season started and pay off some debt last season and all also um, got a call option on first refusal to buy the club. That vote took place on Wednesday night. Cork City supporters, members of the Forest Trust, voted in favour of selling Cork City FC by a margin of 69% to 31%. Cork City FC chairman Declan Carey joins me now. And Declan, I suppose it's fair to say that you guys on the board of Forest, the Cork City FC board, were pushing the takeover. You were fully in support of the takeover and uh, you thought it was the best option for the football club going forward. Yeah, um, yeah, it does make no mistake about it, Colin. We were strongly advocating for this to, to go ahead and get it to the next stage, um, which we're in now, now where, you know, the, the call option agreement has been approved by the members and now it's up to, to Grove more to do their due diligence very quickly and apply for a license, um, to, to the, through the League of Ireland licensing process and we will, we will support them with that. But yeah, we were strongly advocating for this. Look, we've been, um, working on the ground, uh, obviously, you know, steering the ship for the last couple of years and it's just been extremely, extremely difficult and it's been one challenge after the next and, um, you know, we feel that, you know, this was, uh, the, the right decision for the best interests of, uh, of Cork City FC and, Look, the responsibility of Forest is to be the guardians of senior football in Cork, and we felt that, you know, as directors of Forest, that this was the best decision um, it, it, that the members uh, could take, and ultimately they did ratify it and, and voted through on Wednesday. It finished about seventy percent, thirty percent. So, look, very strong support for the for the motion, and um, you know, yeah, we're we're glad now that it's that's been pushed through, and we can proceed with the with the next steps. 
It was strong support for the motion because I know if people were listening to the Big Red Bench last weekend, myself and Rory were chatting about it and we were kind of saying that we hadn't heard a statement or anything from Grovemore and that would put a lot of doubt in people's minds. They, they did make a statement on Wednesday night at the meeting and I think maybe that swayed some of the undecided people certainly over to vote yes and uh, their statement was quite strong and uh, I, I don't know if you can give details of it, Deck, but uh, certainly they have, they have a lot of intent to, uh, to bring the club to new heights. Exactly, yeah. And I think, um, you know, they gave a lot of details as well about uh, different community activities and how they, you know, like to also, you know, build a sustainable football club and make sure that it's ingrained in the, in the local, you know, city or, or county as they do with Preston North End. And um, they explained a lot of the different uh, activities that they do there that I think would have resonated with a lot of the uh, the forest shareholders in 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 the way that we do, like a lot of charity and community work as well. You know, we're closely ingrained with a lot of the, uh, you know, the big charities and um, around in Cork, like Marymount and Cork Simon, you know, mm-hmm. so many um, that I could rattle off. The Mercy Hospital Foundation that we've done a lot of work with. And, you know, obviously the the family element of the club is hugely important, like the family enclosure that we have at, at every home game and kids playing games at half time from clubs all over the city and county. And they do a lot of similar work uh, over there that maybe Cork City fans might not be too familiar with. And I think once they kind of clarify that, I think, um, and gave, gave some of their own knowledge of, of Cork itself, um, which they obviously have a lot of businesses here as things stand anyway. And they, they would visit here pretty regularly, especially pre-COVID-19. Um, I think that kind of resonated with a lot of the uh, the shareholders, and yeah, it was it was great to get further details from them on it, and I think that might have relaxed people a bit more as well um, uh, before the vote actually took place. Yeah, I think the community aspect definitely was something, and then I suppose yeah. in terms of the on the pitch stuff, they they said they're not making any unrealistic promises, but they they do want to um, give the financial backing that allows the club to grow and compete at the highest level of professional football. They they plan they're hoping to get the club certainly promoted again next year and and back into Europe within a couple of years as well. Yeah, yeah. Look, we're we're actually not even sure what way the, the league will look next year. Yeah. The one thing's for certain, I think. I guess at this stage is that we have finished tenth, but look, the FAI haven't even confirmed to us what format the league will be in next season, so we don't know what division we'll be in or what. Or what so, uh, what's just happening. To, I, I just want to pick and, you up. On, uh, I'm going to pick you up on that deck because uh, I, I, do, you, do you think there's a realistic possibility that it, that um, it could be that Cork City could be in an expanded Premier Division next season, or that maybe because yeah. look, we we've obviously had our financial troubles and and licensing difficulties last winter, and you know from the indications we're getting from the FAI is that the licensing process this year will be very tough and there's very tight deadlines on it as well and you know we're only going by the information that we have to hand right now and there is no confirmation of what way the the structures of the leagues will be next season obviously with the the further challenges of games likely and very strongly uh, strong likelihood of being behind closed doors again they realistically are going to be behind closed doors aren't they? So, you know, it's, um, we just have to play it by air and it's not yeah. us clutching at straws at all, Colm. Look, we will obviously plan in all scenarios possible um, and look, whether we are in the first division or not, you know, we'll, it remains to be seen, uh, to be honest, but we will obviously plan for the different scenarios and, and potentially work with Grove more then as well through their licensing process as well and... Um, you know, we'll we'll make sure that it goes as, as smoothly as possible. But we are planning as as best we can with the information we have to hand, and hopefully more clarity on the league structure will will become apparent in the next uh, couple of weeks. Absolutely, uh, that's a, a glimmer of hope, I suppose, for Cork City fans that there may be a possibility. Nobody knows, but there may be a possibility yeah, that the exactly, club might yeah, might yeah. have Premier Division football next season. Um, Deck, I suppose, where does it go from here? Now, as we we look to the future, we know uh, Grovemore are doing due diligence on the club. We know your you guys on the board of Forest are, are engaging with Grovemore and with Peter Risdale of Grove, Grovemore the whole time. Are they now advancing the, the sale option immediately? 
Yeah, look, um, they, as I said, they'll be going through the licensing process with, with the FAI um, and they're also, you know, doing their due diligence, which we expect will happen very quickly, hopefully over the next couple of days. And then, you know, we'll hopefully get a, a stronger indication if this is all fully, all systems go. But look, things are progressing very well. And, you know, we were in immediate contact with them very late Wednesday night from when the, the result of the vote was confirmed. And, you know, as soon as we confirmed it to members, we, we reached out to Grovemore and they were, they were engaging with with us, you know, even in the early hours of Thursday morning, and then all day Thursday again and and Friday. So, look, we we've been in, in very close contact, and this is progressing very well. Um, and look, yeah, we, we will also be progressing with our own license application as normal uh, under Forest as well, just in case. Look, it's obviously you know we are the guardians of senior football. Yeah, the, like, the, there is like there is a, there is a possibility okay. things could go wrong. They probably won't, but there is a possibility Grovemore could ah, see look, something they don't like. Yeah. Or, you know, so so Forest are making contingency plans for that as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And look, the, the Grovemore as well, are, I, I believe they've also made contact with the MFA with regards to possible arrangements for Turnock's Cross. Um, we're not privy to those exact details. Do on they it, want to buy it, Deck? Um, yeah, look, I, I, I believe they're interested in some kind of a, 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 an, a, an agreement with the MFA, whether that be a long-term lease or some other possible arrangement. So, look, they've they've said that you know the club needs to be very closely um, attached with its with its ground and um, have a stronger relationship with its ground than maybe Cork City FC has had with Turners Cross in the past. Like we have an ongoing rolling lease with the MFA currently, and you know it. it this is something that a company like Grovemore with their resources, maybe they can, um, you know, do some, some great work with the stadium if they were able to get some kind of agreement in place with the MFA. So I think that's a very important one for them and hopefully that will, um, that those discussions will evolve as well very quickly and over the next, uh, next couple of weeks. Um, but look, we'll, as I said, we'll, we'll carry on as well as normal forests will still exist no matter what happens throughout all this. If, if Grovemore do proceed and, um, you know, they're the, they're the ones that take Cork City FC into the League of Ireland next season. Forest will still exist and be the guardians of senior football in Cork and we'll try and work out what, what that will look like then as well in the, in the kind of medium to long term as those discussions with Grovemore are progressing. But, you know, look, I've been a member of Forest since 2008 and a lot of the guys on the board yeah. in the same guys and, you know, we're happy to keep it going and, and stay on the board uh, uh, and, and see out our tenures and make sure that, you know, Forest is, uh, go back to maybe what it was set up originally to do back in 2008. But obviously we can help evolve it as well and maybe come up with some ideas on how we can work with, with Grovemore potentially into the future as well. I suppose, Dec, um I'm a Forest member myself. You're a Forest member on the board, obviously, as well. And um, we would be quite in-depth in the knowledge of it and yeah. so on. But for people looking from the outside, I suppose, listening to us right now on the radio and they're kind of going, why why do these guys want to sell? Why do they why do they sell, sell their own club and so on? I suppose yeah. you have to look from a point of view of... You're looking at other clubs, like you see Dundalk in the Europa League the other night, you see Shamrock Rovers, you see all this big money. Forest, to a certain extent, might be sustainable when when there's success in the club because there's big crowds and so yeah. on. But it's literally crowds and sponsorship are the income and that's it. And there's no there's no safety net really, as Forest have learned over the last couple of years when things go a little bit wrong. Um, whereas now with the likes of Grovemere or Big Backer, you do have that really, don't you? Exactly, yeah. Look, there was a period probably in the middle part of the decade when, you know, look, Forrest took over the running of the club in 2010 and it was on a, an upward trajectory, you know, got promoted and then, you know, continued success. But it was, it was almost as if then, you know, success came almost too quickly and there was no backup plan really. You know, there was no money put aside or reserves. And look, even in 2017 when we won the double, you know, had we not sold Shawnee McGuire and Kevin O'Connor that year, we 
Forrest would have still made a loss in that in that actual year, which is amazing to even contemplate that. And mm. when we went into the Champions League the following year, you know, the prize money went up enormously in the Champions League, but still the club made a significant loss that season and then went on with, you know, aggressive budgeting again in 2019 and made significant losses again. And you just cannot sustain those losses as a fan-run club. Um, you know, the club was very lucky to even survive um, the winter of 2019 moving into 2020. And Is it a case of modern... Is it a case of modern football in general, deck not just in Ireland, but in general that like it, it's it, it needs guys who are willing to just throw money at it for fun, basically. I mean, it's it, it's, Potentially, it's, yeah. it's, Look, it's not could, sustainable could, overall. You know, is could it? you keep Forest sustainable and, and and whatnot? But for a club our size, is that what the people of Cork are happy with? You know, look, I was taking my mother shopping earlier today, and I bumped into a Cork City fan who I recognise from Turner's Cross. I, I, I've I've known him just to see at the ground for a couple of years, and bumped into him, and you know, he's not a member of Forest. And we have to think of these people as well that, you know, are lifelong fans of whether it be Cork City or Cork Hibs before that or Cork Celtic. And, you know, this guy just said, look, the last few years have been probably the most disappointing he's seen supporting the club. And we just need to push on and get out of this rut that we're in. And, uh, you know, hopefully now with the resources that Grovemore have will, will help push us on. And it was just refreshing to talk to someone like that who... You know, outside of the forest bubble, as you said, you know, me and myself and yourselves, Colm, are both members. But to hear that from just your fan that goes to every home game and is probably a season ticket holder for, you know, a couple of decades is just refreshing for me to hear as well. And there are there are other fans like this as well that, you know, aren't so closely ingrained. They're diehard Cork City supporters and care deeply for the club, but they're just not members of Forest, and that that's that's their own prerogative. But uh, you know, it's it, it, it's exactly that. It's uh, when you kind of go outside that and and speak to your you know, your fans that just go to games and get their opinion on it, they, they see Cork City as being a much bigger um, club and a much bigger part of the sporting, you know, portfolio in Cork itself and not fall behind things like Munster Rugby and the GA, etc. So, you know, we would hope now that the club will, you know, get back on an upward trajectory and if, if Grovemore do come in and their resources, as they say, they'll get us out of, you know, the rut we're in right now and get back to European qualification as soon as possible and who knows then the, you know, the world is a oyster and uh, I know that's all, you know, best case scenario yeah. thinking, but you would have to hope with their resources and their expertise in football that, you know, they have what it takes to bring that knowledge to the League of Ireland and, and help push us on. Um, and, you know, Forest will still exist as well uh, beyond that and we're happy yep. to assist them as well, I think, and, and, and work collaboratively with them uh, whatever way we can um, to, to support that and support the transition. Yeah, just to wrap up, Sodek, very very quickly, finally, um, it's it's full steam ahead. When should fans expect another update or news on when when things are progressing? Are you guys going to be issuing updates in the media or yeah, to members we'll, and so on? Yeah, we'll update you know, all supporters, uh, our, our own shareholders, first and foremost, I suppose, and the, the, as is our duty as directors. And then, you know, Cork City fans as well deserve to be kept up to date as possible on this. So we keep everyone up to date, Colin, whether it's through chats with yourselves on the Big Red Bench or statements on our own websites and social media channels. Um, as soon as we have updates, we communicate those. It's, it's, it's a hugely important next couple of weeks for Cork football in general and, you know, everyone should be kept up to speed and aware of what's happening and look, we're very confident that this will, will go through successfully along with the support of, you know, hopefully now the MFA as well and our other club partners as well that have been offering to, to help us out. So all, all going well so far and full steam ahead now, as you said, and a lot of work still to do for us as a board, but you know, that, that's what we signed up for and we'll, we'll do what the members have asked mm. now and support this transition as smoothly and as efficiently okay. as possible. Good stuff, Deck. All right, listen, Declan Kerry, Cork City Chairman, thanks a million for joining us and uh, I'm sure we'll chat to you again in the next couple of weeks with another update, Deck. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Colin. Cheers.
All right, uh, it is the Big Red Bench. It's Colm O'Sullivan with you until 7 o'clock. We're going to turn our attention to rugby now. And Ireland up against France this evening in the finale of the Six Nations. It's a five-past eight kickoff in that game. Just give you the latest score in the game ongoing at the moment. In fact, it's just full-time um, in Italy and it's finished England 34, Italy 5. So a good win for England there. Earlier on, Scotland 14, Wales 10 was the final score. But it is, as I said, France versus Ireland at five-past eight tonight. Um, in the Stade de France, it's simple. A bonus point victory over France and Ireland will win the Six Nations. In theory, it's simple. But against France away in Paris, it is a very, very difficult game for them. Andy Farrell's men got the job done against Italy last week to set up a finale that could see Ireland come anywhere in the table from third to first in the rearranged championship and it's strange having the Six Nations at this time of year Halloween night um, we're watching a rugby game Ireland and France and the Six Nations I'm joined by former Irish Irish international and former Munster rugby player as well uh, Tomás O'Leary who's played in many of these Six Nations games in his time Tomás it's been a while since you were on with us how are you getting on? I'm great Colm yourself? I'm very good I'm very good um, are you excited to have the rugby internationals back over the last couple of weeks? Yeah I think it's it's been fantastic to to have a bit of rugby on TV, um, obviously the international games, uh, you know, there's always a bit of spice to them. It is obviously a bit different without the traditional crowd of Six Nations. Um, it, does, it does kind of take away from it as a spectacle, all right, but um, look, it's better than nothing, so we'll, uh, we'll enjoy it while we have it. It definitely is. And um, what did you make of Ireland last week uh, in, in the Italy game? Yeah, I thought they were good. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a decent performance. Like, obviously, you, you'd have to kind of question Italy's um, competency and you know how good they are but you know Ireland still had to beat what was in front of them and look obviously with the kind of Will Connors debut getting man of the match and uh, Hugo Keenan as well on the wing were, were very good performances and I guess the style of play um, Conor Murray only kicking the ball I think twice in the game um, that's encouraging but look it'll obviously be a different uh, different challenge now tonight against France it certainly will, and it's a tough game for Ireland tonight against France. A very, very tough game going into the Lions Den in Paris against a very, very good French side. We know that, but Ireland could still win the trophy tonight, depending on if they win and by what margin, and if they they get bonus points and so on. So, I mean, there's loads of permutations of how things could go, um, but it's going to be a very tough game tomorrow, isn't it, against France? Yeah, look, I think it's probably a challenge too far for for this Ireland team at the moment. Um, Look, obviously, um, France were starting to build up a bit of steam um, in, in the Six Nations proper as, as it was before uh, the pandemic kicked in. Um, I think um, Sean Edwards as well, being added as a defensive coach, he's had that extra six months with the team as well. And, you know, everyone knows his, uh, his kind of calibre of, of coaching. You know, he's worked with the Lions, worked with Wasps, worked with Wales, and he's done wonders with those teams. And I think... If, if the French team can get that defensive side of the ball right, um, you know, they're, they're lethal in attack. So, um, and traditionally, look, home advantage has, has counted for a lot in, the, in this fixture. Obviously, two years ago, Sexton, Sexton won with a drop goal in the last play of the game. And, um, you know, Ireland have beaten them over there on occasion. But traditionally, France have always kind of had, had it over Ireland in, 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 in Paris. So, look, I'd have to fancy, fancy the French team. France are favourites going into the game and you fancy them as well. Ireland have just made one change. Andy Farrell makes one change from the team that beat Italy 50-17 last week. Um, it's Robbie Henshaw replacing Gary Ringrose. What do you make of the team? Yeah, look, I think it's it's probably as, as good a selection as he can put out there at the moment. Um, you know, obviously the experience at halfback, um, Murray and Sexton, 
uh, it's going to be vital over there and I, I think look I know I mentioned Murray's box kicking and he only kicked two the last day I think you'll see him kind of revert to to, to kick and contest again he'll, he'll, he'll have certainly six or seven kicks in this game if not more um, as well to late night kick off so probably would be a bit of a Jew in the ball so I think you'll see Ireland putting a bit of pressure um, on on France at, at, at I suppose contest kick contest time so Sexton and Murray will obviously dictate that um, look Henshaw is an automatic, automatic selection when Ringrose has been injured and it's probably a good centre partnership um, you know the bulk of Aki and Henshaw um, interestingly fans have, have decided to, to kind of bring in um, Arthur Vincent into the centre um, and break up the the, the Fekato, um, uh, Fekato and um, and Fiku partnership. So I think that's probably a mistake on their part. Um, I don't think it's going to cost them the game, but um, their backline has been functioning well. So I think they should have probably just made one change, a wing for a wing, rather than putting a wing or putting their centre to the wing and bringing in a bringing in a new centre. But look, the the backline that they have of look, the Palm is the best nine in the world at the moment. And Tamak obviously at ten is very exciting, and like I mentioned, Fakatou is, is an unbelievable player. So um, I just think that kind of flair in the French backline and and that bit of grunt they have up front will will just get them over the line tonight. See Andy Farrell quoted saying he's going to stick to the plan. He's not going to get carried away during the game tonight, and he's expecting a very very tough game from France. He knows exactly what France are about, doesn't he? He does look, and I suppose that kind of it's kind of alluding to the fact that maybe Ireland should go chasing a bonus point. But look, if you do that, um, you're asking for trouble. Um, so I think it'll just be a case of look if there's, if there's three points on offer, you'll see Sexton point to the post and and, and take their points. So um, look, I think it's going to be initially it's going to be a pressure game that Ireland put on. Look, it's I suppose a, a big night as well. I suppose for Keane Healy and when he's hundred cap and. Um, the, the front row and, and, and the pack in particular at scrum time and the line of time are going to have a big say in, in whether this this Ireland team have a chance of winning look if we don't get parity up front um, away from home in Paris it could be a long night so I think you'll you'll see that you know a lot of emphasis is going to be on the pack at set this time and Farrell has kind of been around the block long enough to know that you can't go over to France and throw the ball around too, too much so I think it's going to be a very pragmatic Ireland approach tonight how do you think it impacts on things, Tomas, playing Six Nations games in October? I mean, it's something that, that's never happened before. Obviously, we do we do have Autumn Internationals and so on, but it's never Six Nations. Um, obviously, they were called off because of COVID back in, back in uh, March and everything was postponed and we're finally getting to finish it now. But players are at a different stage of their season now than they would be normally at Six Nations time. Yeah, they are. Um, it's, it's, it's strange for everyone, but I guess the, the kind of... It's it, it equal for both teams. Um, like Ireland traditionally would have, uh, kind of, I suppose, been on the back of uh, a successful stint in the in the Champions Cup. Leinster and Munster mm-hmm. teams in particular would have been generally coming off um, good group stages, and, and the teams would be in form. So generally, the, the bulk of your team would be, I suppose, um, you know, very very happy with how they're playing. So at, whereas at this year now. Obviously, we've seen very little of the provinces, maybe two or three games before before we had to see the Irish team come together. So, and like you, you see that with the likes of Hugo Keenan, you know, six months ago, the, the, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, was barely in the Leinster team, not a mind in the Irish team, um, and suddenly he's he's scoring two tries against Italy, and now he's playing over in in Paris, making his second cap. So that kind of illustrates how kind of uh, how much of a change it has been. So, um, but look, it's the same for the French team as well. So. Um, it's just 
kind of everyone reacting to the, the current pandemic and, and kind of trying, trying to do as well as they can. So look, it's strange. And I think the, the fact that there's no crowd as well, um, it just it just takes a bit from the atmosphere, even even on the TV as well. Prediction, Tomás, if you have to call us, what do you think? What kind of margin? I'd say probably France, unfortunately, and I'd, I'd probably give them a, a two-score margin. So maybe kind of anything from kind of eight to, to 12 points, I, I reckon France will, 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 will get over the line tonight. Good stuff. All right, Tomás, thanks a million for joining us. Listen, enjoy the game tonight, and we'll chat to you soon, all right? Cheers, Colum. Thanks, Tomás. Nice one, buddy. Nice one. That is Tomás O'Leary chatting to me about the rugby match uh, tonight, Ireland versus France in the Six Nations, the final game of the Six Nations, a bonus point victory is what Ireland need there. Earlier, England 34, Italy 5 and Scotland 14, Wales 10. Before we finish up here on the Big Red Bench this evening, we're going to turn our attentions to Camogie and Cork were finally able to get their Liberty Insurance All-Ireland Senior Camogie Championship involvement underway as they faced Wexford and Porky Ring earlier on today. They received a walkover from Offaly in the first round, so this was Paddy Murray's side's first competitive fixture since early March and although the scoreline suggested it was an easy Rebel victory it wasn't it wasn't at all uh, but the scoreline does suggest that Cork 3-12 uh, to Wexford 1-8 3-12 to 1-8 and Cork are now safely through to the knockout stages with their next outing away to All-Ireland Champions Galway determining whether they proceed to the quarter or semi-finals following the game Lauren Guilfoyle was there for us she caught up and spoke with uh, Cork senior boss Paddy Murray I think about 237 days since your last competitive fixture, but I suppose got the victory today, not in the most stylish of, of fashion either two. No, uh, it looked every bit of uh, uh, 237 days or whatever it is. Uh, you know, we needed it. Um, fair play to Wexford, but Wexford have improved greatly this year and I know Captain is doing a great job down there. So, you know, um, I think they need to mention, you know, some of our play was poor, um, you know, but then again, we're, we're a changed side from last year as well. You know, I think we had five new girls in there today, so there's going to be a learning um on our side uh, I suppose the good news for us is that we're in the quarter final I think that's all we were looking for so uh, you know we just look forward now to uh, I think two weeks time really to um, you know that's, that's the big game um, not next week So I suppose today if you're facing Wexford they were quite uh, expected to be quite defensive today given the high score that they shipped against Galway was that something you were anticipating that you would have that spare player in, in behind I know it was Laura Tracy at times and then it was Maeve Cahalan how did you feel you did dealt with that I thought we dealt with it very well particularly in the first half I suppose the only crib we had at half time was that um, probably weren't moving the ball quick enough um, you know against the gale force wind uh, I thought we some of our play was quite good um, you know it's probably the middle middle or the third quarter really that that probably annoys me a bit that uh, you know just went away from 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 what we were good at and uh, slowed the game down really and left them come at us you know Corcus was playing a short uh, hand passing game short striking game didn't go maybe to plan today but looked good and I suppose given that extensive period of time away from the pitch it is something that will come in the next couple of weeks with more training and more games Yeah look uh, I suppose today is worth a uh, fortune to us really you know I thought our, our, our first half was good uh, when we ran the ball you know um, it's just probably taking the players taking the wrong options at times so we've just those little things to work on you know I'd like to see probably a little bit more intensity in our play as well I thought we were a bit pedestrian at times you know uh, a bit laboured so yeah just you know we've plenty to work on there's no doubt about it
That is Cork boss Paddy Murray speaking after their victory today. Cork Camogie boss Paddy Murray. Uh, so a good day for the Cork Camogie team. Sadly, not a good day for the Cork hurlers. Defeated by a four-point margin, 124 to 128 by Waterford. That is us out of time. Rory is here with the Big Red Bench tomorrow evening from six. Have a great Saturday night, whatever you're doing. Happy Halloween and stand by for Mr. Stevie G on the way next. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.